0: One of the things I've talked about over the years is that we, we build in traditions, rituals, um, memories. And it, this is a two-edged sword because if we do it correctly, a ritual done well, um, to use the old language of the King James, the, the dark glass becomes clear. And just for a moment, We can see Jesus in ways we haven't seen him before. That's what a ritual is supposed to do. Rituals done poorly, just done year after year over and over again, they just simply make you feel good about yourself, which is the very opposite of what we want. So every Advent, we're faced with the challenge of how to do these rituals in a way that invite Jesus into your life. And candles is one of those. Why do we like candles? Well, certainly because the candles represent the, you know, the four. You can see them hanging on the wall over there. The hope, the joy, the love, all of that. But there's something theologically much deeper about a candle and how candles made their way into church this time of year, okay? So Isaiah, um, we talked two weeks ago. Some of you, most of you were here when I had you stand up, if any of you have ever served in any capacity, uh, had you stand up and say, this is what the Lord looks at when he looks at our church. He doesn't see Republicans and Democrats. He doesn't see any of that. He looks at a dream. It's Isaiah has communicated that dream, but I think it was God's dream. He wanted a people who would love him freely, a people who would serve the poor, who would take care of others. Uh, And Isaiah didn't have that. So when Isaiah was writing, um, this is where we get many of our Christmas uh, prophecies from the book of Isaiah, because he kind of tells a story. The first part of Isaiah, he's writing to the southern kingdom in Jerusalem called Judah, because the northern kingdom has, is being annihilated by the Assyrians. They're being destroyed. That There's no way we can overstate how shocking that is. Because one of the ways you knew that your God was powerful was that you always won in a military battle. And all of a sudden, they're just getting annihilated. When I mean annihilated, totally destroyed. If the Assyrians were not the uh, most horrific people in the history of the world, they're in the top two or three. Uh, they surpass Lenin and Hitler and all of them in their ways that they created torture. And they deliberately did it to create pain. And they were very good at it. So they're watching this in the southern kingdom, and Isaiah is writing to them to try to get them to warn them, don't follow their path. They turned away from the Lord. This is going to happen to you if you do that. And so we get many of our prophecies out of this part of Isaiah uh, that we celebrate at Christmas. And one of them is in Isaiah 9. Okay, The people, she's going to put it up on the screen there, The people living in darkness or walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now this phrase, those walking in darkness, that eventually came to be connected with the Gentiles, but during this period of time, it's Israel. Uh, They have turned away from the Lord. They didn't listen, and so eventually 150 years later, God sent the Babylonians to do the same thing. They deported them. And so this is a very dark time. It's a dark time for the faithful who are there, and they're always the remnant. When Jesus says, narrow as the way and few there are that find it, that's the truth. When Elijah says, I, I'm the only one alive, and God said, no, there's actually 7,000. Well, 7,000 is not many out of a nation. And so the nation overall was evil, They were doing horrible things to each other. They were worshiping idols. They were sacrificing their children to the gods. And in the middle of that, you have a small group of faithful people, and this verse was written to them. Those walking in darkness, those that are wondering, where did the Lord go? Where is he? Some of you are asking that question today. Where is the Lord? You're going through things that you weren't created to go through. That's what they were doing. So this this was designed to light, to remind us that there is a light in the darkness. And as the weeks go by in Advent, we're going to light more and more, and the light's going to get bigger and bigger and grow. So for those of you that have been here on Christmas Eve, you're going to have a clear picture of darkness and light within that darkness. Well then, um, that's what they were waiting for. That was their Advent. They're looking forward to the time when a, a Davidic king was going to come, and, and restore the glory of David. And then later on into the Roman Empire, because God got silent for over 400 years, and they're asking the question, where are you, God? Where did you go? We have a lot of writings in that period where they're wrestling with where did God go? And, um, and so their advent was to look forward to that, that king, that coming king who would bring light. So what does John tell us in John chapter 1? There was a light Coming into the world, that's Jesus, and the world did not receive him. But to those who did, he gave them the right to be called children of God. That's that small group. So they're looking forward, they're hoping, they're longing, okay, for the coming king. Now we learn something about hope when we study it through the Old Testament lens, and it's this for the world, hope is something that's a possibility. Not for us. Hope for us is a certainty. It's a guarantee. We don't have to, we don't have to think that it's not coming. It is coming. They knew the king, the Messiah was coming, who's going to be a king out of the line of David, Judah. They knew that. That's why they longed for it. So hope in the Old Testament was a certainty. Okay? It wasn't a possibility. But it had to do with a longing in the heart. We want you to come back. The psalmist writes about it. Many of the prophets talk about it. And so that's what, they, that's what their version of hope was. And so when the hope came, um, it wasn't quite what they were looking for when it finally arrived. You see Isaiah's dream, which was also God's dream, what was buried deep in God's heart, a people that would be filled with the spirit who would do the right things in an evil fallen world. Who would care for the poor, the downtrodden, those who are hurting. Okay, That's, That was his dream and that was Isaiah's dream and he saw that dream coming. So we have that same hope in a coming Messiah. This was Isaiah 9, I'm going to jump down to verse 6 and read this to you, a very famous prophecy. We read it every Christmas. Here's the answer to their hope. Remember, they're living in darkness, and a light has dawned. And Isaiah is going to present this as if it has already occurred. That's how certain our hope is. We're way before Christ in this prophecy, way before Christ, but yet it's already a certainty. He says, Here's the reason why a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born, a child, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, this little child. the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called this little child, wonderful counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. I can't wait. I can't wait. Here we get tired? I do. One of my favorite people in the world is sitting right out there, Pam. When, <laughs> when Jerry called me and told me the news about how serious his cancer was, uh, tears of sorrow, but also weariness. I've been down this road so many times. Lord, when are you coming back? I long for that. Jesus was standing at the tomb with Lazarus. It says he was deeply moved. That word is deeply angry. So angry at Satan and the fallout, the consequences of a fallen world. The greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness, From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Okay, we go all the way back to the garden for the beginning of this picture of hope. What does he say to Eve? Your seed is going to crush the head of this serpent. The serpent just destroyed everything, the fall. Total depravity. And he says, Your seed is going to crush his head. Can you imagine her thoughts right after that? She gets pregnant. Yes. He's here. What a disappointment to find out that he's a murderer. And he murders the second one, the secondborn. And thus begins this long journey. When, Lord? How long, O Lord? until you come the psalmist cries out the prophets cry out when lord that was their advent how long lord till you come okay and we find out that they never realized the dream hebrews tells us that we did we did but even the dream we realize isn't quite the dream that we expected what they expected they expected the messiah to be born here it is right here He's going to break the Roman rule or whatever rule, emperor, they happen to be under. Because guess what? Their politicians were just as evil as ours. Hasn't changed. Nothing new under the sun. Okay? And you guys know it. I don't have to tell you that. You always have a question mark about our, our leaders, don't you? Always. Okay? Is the election stolen? Well, who is it stolen from? Both sides are arguing that. How many of them are involved in bribes and corruption and greed? Don't you always have a question mark about that? And one side is always trying to convince you the other side that's evil. But you always have a question mark. I wonder what it's going to be like one day to wake up with the Lord, feel His embrace, and not have that question mark. Huh. Huh. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. That's what they thought would happen when the Messiah was born. That isn't what happened, did it? He established a kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. The physical part of that kingdom hasn't yet come. That's coming down the road. This is our advent, part two, where we can't wait for the Lord to come back. I'll be honest with you, I get caught in the trap. Lord, I can't wait for you to come back. Oh, but then I have this one friend who I love. Just hold on just a little bit longer. I can't wait for you to come back. Oh, but wait, one of my nephews doesn't know you yet. Just hang on a little bit longer. Suspense. That's what the Holy Spirit specializes in, is suspense. So imagine Mary When Gabriel shows up and says You are the one They waited thousands of years You are the one Who's going to carry This little child So what does she do? She immediately heads out To go see her cousin Elizabeth Who is pregnant with John Who would be John the Baptist Who would be the front runner for the Messiah, Jesus Okay, now you know what teenagers girls are like when they get together, right? I mean, this is stuff movies are made of. They get together, they giggle, they talk, they laugh, they do all this kind of stuff, right? It's fun. It's just so great to watch them. Even when we're in youth group to watch the guys are all kind of shooting baskets and doing this and the girls are all talking blah blah blah, right? It's just fun. Can you imagine what this conversation was like between these young, two young, very young girls? They're both pregnant, and one of them's carrying the Messiah. And when she walks in, John the Baptist leaps because of the Holy Spirit in her womb. And Elizabeth knows what's going. They both know what's going on because the angel has told them both. What was that conversation like? I want to, when we get to whatever the heavenly version of Starbucks is, you know, I want to sit with her and say, "Tell me about that moment. What was it like when you saw Elizabeth for the first time? What was it like when the angel stood in front of you?" Were you terrified? Yeah, she was. It says, you know, what was it like to be told all the thousands of years and you're the one to wait? What does she do? She immediately starts praising the Lord. This is called Mary's Magnificat or Mary's uh, hymn. Uh, this is Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord. Oh my gosh, I can only imagine. I mean, it sounds sterile when you just read it. She must have been going, Whoa! I get to carry the Messiah. Whoa, my my soul glorifies the Lord. Excuse me. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy, holy, holy is his name. Okay, what does she immediately do? She praises the Lord, doesn't she? She does. To have waited all that time and to be the one. But you see, hope is not about praising the Lord. That's a little tiny piece. Hope, by definition, has a future to it. And this is where we sit in Advent. We sing the songs, we rejoice in the carols, We laugh with our family. All good stuff, all right stuff, do it. Do Advent devotions with your family. Okay, read the scriptures together, pray together. It's all good. But then we're very intuitively and acutely aware that the best hasn't yet come. We have the Holy Spirit. We are already tasting. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We're already getting what, that, what the Old Testament saints didn't get. We have the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. We're already tasting it. We've already had that initial installment of all those wonderful things. We're heading in that direction. And yet, <clears throat> and yet we're mixed with tears of sorrow. And our friends who are sick. People that have lost their jobs. It's a mixture. So we know the best is yet to come it hasn't come yet that's what advent is all about and this level of hope because we know it's a certainty it is not pretend it is not a possibility it is our reality it's coming that's what this candle symbol this candle symbolizes we are a light we are a light to the world but we're not just a light to the world we're a light to each other how many of you have experienced something that just hard and traumatic this year me see your hands yeah yeah and we need to be a light to each other bringing that truth in there that god is not finished the best is yet to come yet to come well mary doesn't stop there she goes on we're going to read the second half of her hymn where now she's moving into the realm of the future true hope hope realizes god's love in the present and understands what's coming is our reality. She goes on in verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. This is us, by the way. Right? It goes out. That's what hope does. It goes out. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. I love that. I can't wait to see some of our rulers brought down. Just being honest with you. I can't wait. And they felt the same. Under these terrible Roman Caesars, don't be fooled. The Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, is a myth. It was a myth because it only applied to the elite. Someday, if you want, I'll read you what life was like for a regular peasant in the Roman Empire. Most of them had gum disease. They were in pain. They died young. Life was hell. And they had to work themselves to the bone. So the piece of Rome was for the elite. And you see that happening today, not to get too political on you, but I just shook my head. California just passed a law that in 2035. Um, no more gas vehicles will be sold, only electric vehicles. And they were offering subsidies for electric vehicles. Okay, here's what gets me as a Christian. Who can afford an electric vehicle? Can the poor? I can't even afford one. And I'm rich. Can the poor afford one? Why on earth are we giving subsidies to the rich? And what are the poor going to do in 10 years? What are they going to do? not trying to be political. I'm just saying as a Christian, we invert the value system and we go after the poor. Whoever wants to be greatest in the kingdom needs to be least, needs to be the servant, the slave of all, he says. And we should always get used to inverting the process and saying, what's happening to the poor in this? Because they're the ones that Jesus cares about. I can't wait for the government For God to correct all this. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. It's a good reminder. Those who weep with others. Those who carry other people's burdens. Those who step in and defend those who can't defend themselves. You see the the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount, They invert all the values of culture. The values that are precious to the Lord are the ones at the bottom. But she doesn't stop there. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. Now, don't read the wrong thing. Nothing wrong with being rich unless it leads you to greed. I'm grateful for those of you that have capacity. You take care of our church. But... I'm grateful as long as you're saying look what God has given me let me bless everyone else with it if you're doing this with it it's mine, I'm going to protect it then I pray for your soul it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom what did Peter say? this is really hard, it's impossible and Jesus said you're right With God, all things are possible, but not with humans. He goes on. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. You see, that's the God that we serve, loving, merciful, gracious, generous God. To Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So true hope doesn't stop with today. True hope recognizes God's presence And kindness and mercy today, and is very aware that the best is yet to come. We have a job to do. And that's what this candle and all these candles symbolize. As we move closer to the cross, the light gets brighter. And what is the light? Shining in the darkness. Those who have living in darkness, that entire world out there, our friends, our neighbors, everybody we meet, are living in darkness. We don't. We live in the light. So what does it look like when the, for us, for the second return? The Messiah came, and he didn't start a physical kingdom. That's what they thought would happen. So all of a sudden, the torch gets passed to us, second advent, the second appearing of the Messiah. When he comes, we get to see the best that everybody, every faithful person in all of history waited for. What does it look like? You can make a list of thousands along. I just jotted out a few. They take care of the poor. (coughs) That's what the Messiah does. The Messiah gets rid of corruption and greed. I can't wait to have that question mark in my mind gone about our leaders. Are you getting a kickback? How much money are you getting to make this decision? Do you really believe this decision? Is this your ideology or are you benefiting from it? I mean, I'm a skeptic, so I'll be honest with you. He's going to right all the wrongs of evil that have been done. I travel all over the world and I see it everywhere. What is wrong with Buddhism? They're not about to help the poor. You won't find that in their teaching anywhere because that's a result of karma. I just came from Cambodia. I saw these slums that if I showed you my pictures, you'd go, oh my gosh. And you know what the government does? They come along and put gold idols. They're not going to help the poor. They're there because of karma. They put gold idols so it'll draw the evil spirits away from them. What about a, a, a Messiah who says, go help the poor? What about that? You don't know what really is Buddhism and Hinduism about? Come talk to me. I've now got two and a half decades teaching in those countries. And I can show you pictures and I can explain. it. The Messiah is going to remove evil leaders and replace them with righteous leaders. And finally, for us today, he's going to remove our tears of joy. I mean, sorrow. And he's going to replace them with tears of joy. That's what's going to happen. So I'm going to go back to Isaiah and read one more passage. This is in the second part of Isaiah when they didn't listen. And so they've been deported. So now he's trying to give them hope that God has not forgotten them. Again, you've heard some of this. He says, why do you complain, Jacob? Why? He warned you. He said, I warned you and you didn't listen why do you say Israel my way is hidden from the Lord my cause is disregarded by my God you ever felt that way where are you God I'm sure every one of you has At some point in your Christian walk, where are you God why are you silent Jesus thought that why have you forsaken me of all the times right now right you've all been there haven't you My way is hidden from the Lord. He's not paying any attention. Well, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. Yeah, you've been deported. You're no longer at home. Pretty soon they're going to come back into the land and rebuild a a ramshackle of a temple. And you know what? It's not going to mean a thing. God glory, God's glory didn't come back. When He tore the veil in half, we talk about it sometimes as that's access to the throne room. That's not true. You know what? There was nothing in the holy of holies. It was an empty space. It was all pretend. The ark had been destroyed a long time ago. It was just an empty room. You could have walked in every time you wanted because God's glory was not there. It was showing His grief like they tear their garments when somebody dies. His son just died, and he ripped his garment. The only thing he had to tear was the veil. So the author of Hebrews says that we have access through Jesus, through the blood of Jesus. He goes on, he gives strength. This is the God that we serve. This is the hope that you have to trust this is what Advent is all about, remembering this. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. David says it this way in Psalm 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He rescues us. Even youth grow tired and weary and the young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, this is Advent right here. Those who hope in the certainty of the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So as we're waiting for Advent, are we waiting well? Are we? Some of you... Some of you have legitimate tears of sorrow. I know some of you and some I you don't. But Advent is the time when we remember it's all going to get fixed one day. And we will rejoice. And I wish I could promise you that Jerry's cancer, the Lord will take care of it. Paul, I wish I could have promised you And the Lord has given you a respite. And I'm grateful for that. And some of the others in here have had cancer. Some of you I know, some of you I don't. Wish I could promise and I can't. But what we can do is look to the future with certainty and hope and pray. Pray. Father, we do lift up right now. We have this hope of a joy so certain. A love so authentic and deep, a peace so relaxing. We have that hope, and we've tasted it now. We've tasted you, and we know that it tastes good. And Lord, I'll be the first to admit, losing Judy and cancer, that sometimes I get weary and tired. So Lord, I pray for those in our congregation right now that are shedding tears of sorrow, that you would be kind and merciful to them um, and you would heal them now, not in the future, now. And Lord, that you would be kind to our neighbors and friends who live in darkness. Lord, we, we plead with you to somehow penetrate that dark veil and help them to see the truth of who you are. And then God, come back. Come back, Lord. Come back, Jesus.